Hey everybody, welcome to Bus Call, the podcast dedicated to touring industry professionals and their stories. My name is Ryan Goldbacher and I'm going to be your host. In these interviews, we're going to break down how touring professionals got into the industry, advice they have for up-and-comers, and awesome stories from the road. For more info, visit us at show-logistics.com and click on the Bus Call podcast at the top of the page. My next road dog has quite the extensive resume. Uh, he's worked with Tesla, Survivor, Eric Church, Fantasia, Rascal Flats, Lone Star, Big and Rich. He currently texts for Boston, and he's uh, one of the best guitar techs I've ever met. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Gamble, welcome to Bus Call. What's up, man? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, yeah, you forgot to drop Prince in there, bro. That's one of the, you know, bigger ones. I did say Everybody Prince. Loves Prince. Didn't I say Prince? I th- no. Oh, I you know what? I You know why? All right, so here's the deal. The reason I did that is because the first two you put in your, your thing here were Boston and Prince, and those are the two biggest acts, and I just kind of went down the line. So anyway, right? He, yeah. But Gamble is a legend in the business. He's worked for Prince. He's he works with Boston now, um, and he's done so much stuff over the years. It's just incredible. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Gamble, welcome to Bus Call. What's up, bud? Hey, brother Brian. Good to hear from you. Thanks for having me, man. This is cool. So what's? I mean, I kind of know your story just from knowing you. But what series of events led you to get into the music business? Well, I am a. I'm a failed musician, Ryan. So uh, <laughs> that's how all of us start. <laughs> so with that comes a fertile ground of other jobs. Uh, yeah, so you know, I was in bands, local bands, and um, I always was into audio and and trying to cover that. And uh, so just playing in bands, I picked up a gig here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, at this place, Austin Audio. I just started doing like um, frat row gigs, doing audio and lights for all these like frat bands that would play. And uh, so I'd go to different parts of Tennessee and hit these colleges. And um, that's kind of where I broke into the business, if you will, through just doing that stuff and then doing installs as well. But I did go to MTSU for a year with aspirations of getting into their mass comm department over there. Uh, they have REM, which is uh, recording industry management. Yeah. And I, I aspired to be a studio cat, uh, audio engineer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was in bands and I thought, wow, I'm already doing this. Why am I going to school for it? I'm doing it right now. I'm in the field mixing bands and mixing my band or whatever. So I just, 86 that idea and just went i thought for sure i'm gonna be a rock star I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about it so i didn't need school right mm. so that just like you know i i had small successes or whatever and and then i got a call from a dear friend phil k he said man do you want to come down here to light and sound design and strip some trust and i didn't even know what trusting was and I didn't care because he said the place was cool and you could smoke weed and you know do all this stuff so I was in, you know, and I went down there. I think I was stripping trust with some really volatile stuff uh, that would kill you. Um, <laughs> breathing it, um, even the the mask that we use today wouldn't help you. Um, and I was making seven bucks an hour, and I thought I was shitting in tall cotton. So I was in the industry. I was making money, and I was hanging out with a bunch of musicians. There was like six or seven, maybe ten bands in the shop at the time. You mm-hmm. know, it was crazy. So it was a 
great place to be. That's kind of how I got into it. And then touring, I was doing my own band touring. We were doing Weekend Warrior stuff for a long time when I was like 19 until I was about 24. Mm. So I had experience with gigging, you know, but working at Light and Sound Design was full on art. The accounts that they had for lighting, they provided lighting back then. It's no longer a company. It's PRG now, but they provided lighting for U2, Rolling Stones, Madonna, like the biggest names in the world touring. Mm-hmm. And there was always like, you know, people asking me, come on, man, go out on tour, go out on tour. And I was like, no, man, I've got a band and you guys are going to be working for me one day. You know, <laughs> You're known for being a backline tech and primarily a guitar tech. Um, I mean, I met yeah. you working at uh, SIR in Nashville. What was the first tour you did as a tech, I guess, or as a crew guy? That would be Lone Star, probably. Back in the early 2000s, uh, yeah, I was a keyboard tech. Okay. So, you know, I'm a drummer. That's my forte as a musician, but I ended up being a guitar tech. I don't know why. It's probably because I pay attention to detail, uh-huh. and um, I'm really kind of anal about shit. And, you know, you deal with, like, you deal with artists with huge idiosyncrasies, mm-hmm. so I'm quirky, too, so I kind of, like, get it. Mm-hmm. As a tech, you know, I, I don't know it firsthand because I've never done it, but, you know, you got, especially at the level that you're doing stuff, the yeah. shows are so on point if you make a little mistake, I mean, even if it's putting the guitar in the wrong spot, can can mess somebody up. And it's, you know, they'll get through the gig, they're pros. But little tiny things like that, it, it, like the attention to detail, especially from a guitar tech standpoint, because you're running on, on and off stage, is really, really important. Yeah. yeah. I know you've done a bunch of country stuff, so have I. I'm kind of out of that world now, and I... I tend to stick more to the rock stuff uh, just oh more. me i try i try to as well but you know, <laughs> it is what it is what's the story behind uh prince getting that gig oh wow that that's a crazy story it you know it started with sir actually they asked me to go down to south by southwest and backline i remember for him that. he was doing, <clears throat> yeah so he's doing a private show like an unannounced show at south by southwest in a little little club little bar and I went down there and, you know, I started, you know, setting up gear with uh, Christy and uh, and this guy walked in representing Prince and he was Prince's studio engineer and he was also his live engineer. So this guy used to play in a band called Selk out of Murfreesboro. My band used to open up for his band and we started talking about that and we went to college together. So immediately we had a good rapport. And I said, dude, I'm looking for a gig. And then he was like, cool. Well, you know, we've got somebody, blah, 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 but I'll keep you in mind. So as I was working, Prince's musicians were so impressed by the way I was working. They said, dude, you better be careful. You might get a job out of it. They warned me. <laughs> <laughs> Where to God. So anyway, finished the show, whatever, and drove home. And uh, about a week later, at 3 a.m., my phone rings and it's three, three digits, you know, it's like six, two, five. I'm oh, like, yeah. what the hell? I've never seen that in my life. So I thought it was like, like, I don't know, the government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't answer it. And then it rang again and it was from Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I answered it and it was their production manager. And he's like, yo, I got your name. You know, what's your rate? And can you fly out tomorrow to Vancouver? And, I was like, <laughs> and then I was in Vancouver the next day. And, um, it, you know, it was very surreal. So that's how I got that gig. Just, you know, by paying attention to detail, by, you know, being user friendly. And that's important to say to any up and coming 
techs that want to get into this, you know, and I have to be reminded of this myself because sometimes I'm, I'm really short with people. I can't help it. I get impatient and I, you know, I'm one of those choppy, crusty roadies. Sometimes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's just being honest. Yeah. Um, well, you, I mean, you don't, yeah, you, on the road, you don't have time to be, you know, the nice guy. I mean, that's, that's for after the gig, that's for the days off, you know, and yeah, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not, I mean, I've been yelled at before and I've yelled at people before and it's, it's definitely never personal ever. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's game phase. We got to We have to, it, well, yeah, you're in game mode and you got to get this done perfectly now. That's so. right. Yeah. You got to be user friendly. So these artists, uh, these guys have been touring for 30 years with this guy. They could see that this backline guy from SIR Nashville was like really paying attention to detail and getting the shit right, you know, and I was on point and they were like, be careful. You might get a job. At it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you, you never know where, um, where a gig is going to come from. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because Crispy, you know, Crispy. Yeah. Chris Parsons. He's, he's an engineer, audio yeah, engineer. Chris Parsons. SR, SR. Right. He paid attention to the way I was rolling and he was like, dude, I learned a lot from the way that you roll. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, you always are making the next move while you're making a move, you know, it's, it's about what's down the road. And that, and I knew that. So It's cool looking back and just kind of drawing the lines, like what gig led to what gig and what friendships led to what yeah, friendships. Yeah. I mean, eventually you start getting to say no to gigs, which is the coolest. Yeah. It was like the hardest thing. The first couple of times I had to say no to gigs that I actually did want to do. And, uh, you know, but then right. it's like, you know what? Uh, this is pretty cool. They want me more than I need them. So, but yeah, that's a great place to be, man. And you know, audio, you know, audio engineers really have that going for themselves because um, I've talked to people in the industry, and 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 I love doing audio. And you know, it seems that to me that if our techs are a little more expendable, we don't get paid as much as you guys, and we should because we're taking care of the artist, like right there with them with this very volatile instrument. So I, that's one thing that really bothers me about the pay scale, but you choose your gig. And, and that's been the adage since I've been in the gig business because I've worked with musicians that knew I was a better musician and knew I should have been in their place, but they were like, Hey, you chose your job. <laughs> you know, to that point too, you, you know how important it is uh, to, you know, be well versed. I mean, you, your area of expertise is is guitar teching, but I know you could step in and do some audio stuff if you needed to. Um, lighting, yeah, light. You can do some general lighting, yeah, exactly. Okay. And that's kind of that's kind of how Accounting. I. Got, yeah, that's how I got into to tour managing. I just I kind of knew what I was doing. They hired me to be an engineer, and they're like, "Hey, can you can you take over these responsibilities too?" And uh, yeah. you know, and I know I know enough to be dangerous about lights, and I can. I can tune a guitar, <laughs> but you know, yeah. there's been situations where I just, that's all they really needed me to do is I've stood on stage, you yeah. know, you tune a guitar and yeah. hand it off and then, you know, but yeah, it's, you know, spread, don't spread yourself too thin, but it's, it's good to have a good grasp of, uh, of all the professions out there. Cause then you can, all the departments. Yeah. You can, you can yeah. Jump. Every, every department, you know, that's something that I've shared with people. I was like, yeah, it's, you you need to be aware of every department and how it rolls mm-hmm. because on on a, on a big tour if you're you know you got a footprint as a backline tech and and you come in at a certain time and they're laying down floor lighting at a certain time and they're running cable at a certain time and videos running the kit you know and then you got pyro so you have to plan out and time and figure out when you need to land your stuff mm-hmm. and how it needs to land and yeah. the way it needs to be 
all your cable needs to be routed. It should, it should be on top. You're the first one out. Those kind of things. So you have to be aware of all that. And every day that morphs, you know, it's not, you're not given the same footprint every day. So you mm. have to be able to like chameleonize to mm. everything. Yeah, and, and I think you, that's and you need to for, well, and you need to know what things are going on around you so you can stay out of other people's way. Now, there's, I mean, there's nothing worse than like walking right in front of somebody while they're pushing something out or, or just you know hindering somebody because you're just standing in the wrong spot. Oh yeah, totally. And like you know, you've been in situations where there's a certain time that you can strike all your deads after you build, and you've got to get that off stage before they run cable or do mm-hmm. you know? So again, you have to be aware of all departments. What's going on? You need to know a little about every department now. I know that I've been in the deep waters of knowing a little too much about everything and maybe not enough about what I'm charged with. Mm. So, you know, people, they don't want to like take a gamble on you. If you're like, okay, no pun intended. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) They they don't want to take a gamble on Jerry Gamble. (laughs) Yeah. So he says he's a guitar tech, but he's always like talking about how this cables ran for audio, you know, like, so, you know, it's good to, you know, know your stuff, but know your lane. And, uh, you know, but, and so another good thing is always build your resume. Like right now, my good friend, Phil K, who got me into the business as, as far as production, he, you know, recommended to get on the Grand MA and start, you know, doing some, you know, learning how to um, design shows because I know lighting and I've built my own shit before and mm. i know it well enough so you know it's just another good thing to have in your pocket to make money yeah so what's what's the story behind uh boston how'd you get that gig oh well that was an um another gig that turned into that gig so i was with lone star i was their stage manager at this point and there's that carpenter and their drum tech and their keyboard tech and their guitar tech so i was doing five gigs and that's how it is and you know we were at that place and it was you know i was making money and we were making money i was very thankful for the gig but so we brought out this guitar tech who was a heavy hitter and worked for boston and worked for peter franton and his name was rick piatla and we got a good rapport going and he liked the way i rolled and then fast forward 2012 he calls me up he's like hey are you available we're looking for a guitar tech we're going out with boston and he's tom Scholes guitar tech and has been since uh 2008 at that point and this is 2012 so of course i was like yes yeah, i'm all in mm-hmm. and uh brought me up there to boston and i you know i walked into the lair and um you know got chills all over and this is like oh my god i've done over 300 shows with them at this point and not to mention all the rehearsal shows and sound checks and I can tell you every single night it was like all over again. It was still brand new and it mm. still motivated me and inspired me to be a musician and to be a better person and it gave me life. It was mm. just, it still is one of the best experiences of my life. Well, that's, Absolutely. that's one thing I've, I've just about that gig. They, those guys, I can tell just by the way you talk that they treat you incredibly well, uh, which is important. Absolutely. It's very important because you're, I mean, I don't know, you've never even hinted about going anywhere else. I mean, it's just like such a good group of people. And I've had the chance to work with them and, and meet them uh, a couple of yeah. times. And they just, everybody that I've met in that crew is just like so down to earth, super cool. Everybody's a normal person, not in the, in the band and everything. And they're just, you know, Absolutely. it's a great, great environment to be in. 
Oh um, my God, it's so blessed. Yeah, and they're they're probably you know they have the most loyal crew in the world. Probably I don't know maybe maybe yeah. not, but I know I I want that front of house gig, and I don't think I'm going to get it anytime soon. <laughs> the thing is about that band and Tom Scholes and his beautiful wife Kim Scholes is mm-hmm. that you know it, it's more important for you to be a good person than you'd be a great tech. You know, mm-hmm. so they want you know it's important to surround themselves with good entities and, mm-hmm. and positive energy. But uh, anyway, dude. So all right, here's uh, so gonna kind of talk about uh, some some interesting things you've gotten to see and do with all the traveling we get to do in this world. What's the coolest venue you've got to work at? Yeah, it's hard to say just one, but I'll, I would definitely start with this one that I did in Berlin, Germany, that was built by hitler when he was in power mm-hmm. and and so it was like off in the like in the middle of the woods but you go through this really really nice beautiful community on like a one-lane road and then you end up in the woods like literally dug into the ground so it had been bombed and all that and they rebuilt it and now they do gigs there and, and they used to do gigs back when you know hitler was there and all that crap they have a bunker where you store your gear and shit. It's really, really. <laughs> so you put your dead cases in the bunker. Absolutely, you sure do. Yeah, yeah. And then the Budokan in Japan with Boston was legend because when I was there, I went to the base. There's like a place where you go in the basement, uh-huh. and so I went down there. And then there was this road case from LSD Light and Sound Design, the company I used to work for. And I was like, holy shit, here it is in Japan at the Budokan. And it was a house case. They use it, you know, for whatever random thing. And then um, did a gig up in Canada where on one side of the venue is a hockey rink and the other side is the, the stage. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> that was like a little um, different than being in like Texas when you're at that one, yeah. one place where you have the rodeo, rodeo right next to you, <laughs> yeah. and then you have the stage. What is it? What's that oh, place man. called? I don't There's so many in Texas, man. There's one in Colorado. No, uh, no this is a legendary place. I've done it. It's where you, like, check it out. So you have what, to load all your what, what, what part of stage. Texas? Oh, I can't remember. I'll, I'll remember it in a second. But you mm. load all your stuff onto the stage, right? And then you dump all your stuff out of your cases and get the cases off the stage so you have to just dump everything and you know get everything off the stage as quickly as possible then they raise you like 12 feet in the air right they like That's, the stage you know, moves up? Like, yeah it goes 12 feet like 10 feet in the air like wow. way up in the club man oh dude it's a legendary it's like billy bob i think it's called billy bob. oh the outside thing there's billy bob's billy bob's is like a venue it's got an inside stage but i know they do something outside in their like uh right right next in to the it is their rodeo cattle yard stage. or something yes that's it yeah so there's there's one um i can't remember where in colorado but it's the stage is like on top of of i, I don't know what you call them stables or whatever where they put the cows and it's like it's like it's kind of like twenty feet in the air, and they're all the, all the cows are under the stage, and you can hear them all mooing. During, yeah, and then like front of house, they can't. It's all muddy, and they can't put front of house down on the ground because they're doing their rodeo thing there during the day. And you put your front of house console on this like trailer, and this tractor pulls it out. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I've yeah, done that gig. yeah. I can't, man, I can't remember where that is, but yeah, that was that's no. I've done that gig because you know I'm on stage, you know, guitar taking whatever, and then you know again, like you said, the chutes are right underneath you, and where they store the pins yeah. are underneath further further upstage. 
So the shoots are little, literally from the downstage edge yeah. right there. So you can stand on the downstage edge and look at this bull. Yeah. And then they, they kick out of the shoot and all the mud gets kicked up on the stage. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. And that stage has got to be 20 feet high. I mean, it's it's like a huge, it tall stage. But, yeah. It man. is. Yeah. Hey, so what's – uh so um, – at all the countries you've gotten to visit, what's the coolest place you uh, you gotten to go? Japan was amazing. Um, Austria was um, right up there. That was an amazing place to stay for five weeks and to live and tour out of. Of course, Amsterdam. Is Hawaii a country? I, uh, Hawaii is <laughs> a different kind of a different place. <laughs> No, that and was. That I, really, I, I, I consider yeah. Hawaii. No, I consider Hawaii. Uh, a more exotic experience. You might not need a passport to get there, but no, I mean that experience was not the best. Although I did get the surf, but um, yeah, definitely it would be Japan and Austria. Those would be the two top places. I mean, I've been to Europe and I've been to all like the Caribbean places that you can go to mm-hmm. in Mexico. But yeah, it's just it's just interesting the different cultures you get to see, and I just you know for our industry and and you know entertainment alone. I think what you and Jeff spoke about in one of your podcasts is that people in Europe appreciate music more and they appreciate being in groups mm-hmm. and, and doing something social and sharing life and love together. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bag on our country. We have the greatest country in the world, but you know, it just seems like people are way more appreciative of just the event. I was in Austria and I was touring Germany and they were doing the uh, opening for this Schlager music artist and i mean it was eighty thousand people in a stadium and everybody just having the best time it's like oompa loompa kind of music it's not like <laughs> <laughs> but it was more than that it was very heartfelt kind of stuff too there was some very endearing songs and that kind of thing and it was just a great vibe great theme i just love it you know and i've been to like Lollapalooza back in the day and i've been to you know bonnaroo more times than i want to think about yeah, and uh yeah. one is one is more times than i want to think about it's just a little different i think that I have an old soul from Europe. It feels like home when I'm there. And mm. when I was in Amsterdam, I said to this guy in a cafe, I was like, man, I feel like I'm at home. And he said, welcome home. And that stuck with me. All right. So tell me the craziest story that you uh, can tell that's not going to wind up with anybody in jail or you getting fired. Oh, okay. Okay. I got a good one. Okay. So I got hired to be the stage manager for this classic rock festival in Mexico. So you had everyone from Cheap Trick, Fog Hat, the Monkees, or, you know, Mickey Dolan's. Uh, I mean, there was just a bunch of old classic rock dudes, right? So I'm stage manager at three-day festival in Mexico. we got Spencer Davis group there. So, you know, here I am, stage manager. I'm running the show. I'm like, hey, you know, it's noon. You guys are supposed to go on at noon. I'm talking to Spencer Davis, who's uh, MD. He's the bass player. So I was like, yeah, it's noon. You guys need to go on. And where's your drummer? And he was like, uh, he's lost in the hotel. We don't know where our drummer is. And I was like, yeah, but you guys need to go on right now. <laughs> and he was like, well, we don't have a drummer. And I was like, well, I play drums, man. And then he goes, so he goes, he goes, can you play a 12-8 blues bar? And I was like, in my fleet. And he goes, get up there. And I was like, okay. So I walk up there and I'm kind of like reluctant. I'm like, is he serious? And am I serious? So I get to the drum riser and I look over at him just one more time and he just had to look like, go for it. So I just got up there and I sat down and then Spencer Davis walks over to me and leans over the drum kit and he said, 
right, so we're going to play like four bars together, me and the guitar player, and then you and the bass player come in. Right. And then walks away and goes right up to the mic and just goes into the song. And so I, you know, came right into the song and everybody looked back at me with this big smile on their face because I was hitting way harder than their drummer. I can tell you that. <laughs> the crowd roared, got to the end of the song and just about at the end of the song, I look over stage left and the drummer standing over there with his eyes as big as saucers. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I tell him to come on up, you know, well, I'm about to finish this song. And uh, he comes up. And I told him to come over to my right side so I could hand him the stick. I totally just pushed him over that way and handed him the drumstick. And then I started sliding out of the place so he could sit down. And we kept the beat going and didn't miss a note. And uh, the audience roared. And I walked off stage. Dude, that was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, Spencer Davis group, bro. Yeah. So that was crazy. Dude, that's, yeah, you were briefly in the band. You were almost in a band for a whole song. Dude, I know. I almost got four minutes. So after that, there's like this little pavilion where they had for all the bands and artists, and they had their own bartender and everything, but the whole audience could see this pavilion or whatever, and it had like a little brick-edged wall all the way around the pavilion about two feet high where you could sit on it or whatever. So I'm sitting there taking my break because the other band's already on, and I'm going over there and taking a break watching the band from where I'm sitting, and I'm hanging out with the artists. Spencer Davis is standing right next to me with his group all around me. And he like unzips his pants, unbuttons his pants, and he's going to tuck in his shirt. And I'm sitting right next to him, mind you. And I look up at him and I go, really, I don't want the gig that bad. And I broke. (laughs) Everyone just died laughing. That's good. That's a good one. And then after that, the show was over at like 7 o'clock. So as soon as the sun went down, the show was over. So I wrapped everything up and I went to the bar at the Hard Rock right there. And all the people that are in the audience are staying at the hard rock. So they see me and they're like coming up to me. You're like, Holy shit. Who are you? I, mean, I thought you were like stage manager. You're the calmest guy on the stage. You know, you're walking around like everybody's losing their mind and you're walking around like nothing's going on. And, <laughs> and then now you're playing in the band. What? Who are you? I was like, dude, it's just, you know what? I get paid. To yeah. It had to get done. You do it. That's me, bro. But that's the whole crew mindset. You got if it's got to get done, you just got to do it. You can't wait. <laughs> no, and if you can do it, make it happen. So yeah. I was working for an artist, and the same thing happened. We were in rehearsals. They didn't have a monitor engineer, and I went right over to the desk and I started punching up their mixes mm-hmm. and bringing it up. And they were like, "What can you not do?" And I was like, "Well, I can be your. I, I can do everything. I can. I can design your clothes. I can do your photo shoot. I can." direct your video i can help you write the song i'm gonna do everything but hold your hand that's a good a good mindset to have in this business because even when you're starting out if you're just a stagehand and you're that guy that jumps in and saves the day everybody on that crew no matter what it is is going to remember that whether or not they can hire you right then it's probably not going to happen but you know next time if i'm hiring you know guitar tech i remembered this stagehand you know, just stepped in and made it happen. And that's 99% of what we do. Just make it happen. The show must go on. Yep. In that moment, I brought three guys down to Mexico with me. And when I jumped up on that drum kit, I heard one of the guys say, holy shit, gamble. (laughs) You know, he was just (laughs) tripping on the set. And he'll never forget. And, you know, again, if he gets a gig, he's going to say, yeah, this guy. Yeah. I'm going to call him. He can do it. So what uh, what advice do you have for the youngins out there that are going to be getting into this business? Okay, there's there's a couple of things. Well, actually, there's four things, I would say. 
something that I need to be reminded of constantly. And one of my dear friends, Kamal Azar, who is a tour photographer uh, for Boston and Aerosmith and Godsmack, he works with a lot of artists. He's, he, you know, he reminds me, you need to be more user-friendly, first of all. Everybody needs to be user-friendly. No one wants to work with a dick. No one wants to work with a guy that's got an attitude or thinks that he's somebody or he's the artist. We all want to work with people that are just willing to help and willing to jump in and be a good friend, right? Mm-hmm. That's most important. And then there's three other things that are important. You know, you got to know how to tour. You have to know how to tech. And you have to know how to gig. And those are three different things. The most important thing is to listen. And God gave you two years and one mouth for a reason. Mm-hmm. So... Boom. Start with that. Secondly, the ship doesn't need to go down because you're afraid to ask, hey, why is this hole over here leaking water? So we are all in it together. And the worst thing you can do is pretend like you know and you don't know. And then the show fails in some point or place. And I told a friend that I brought into the business. He had never done it in his life. I brought him into a high profile gig as a guitar tech or a high profile guitar player. And I said, listen, you make sure you ask me any question you need to ask because I cannot let you fail because if you fail, I fail, we all fail, and everything mm-hmm. fails. And the audience is let down. We're not saving lives out here, but at the same time, we got to take this seriously. So, uh, you know, and that's the thing. Don't be afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, put your ego aside. No one cares about who you think you are. We only care about the end product. And that goes for all the heavy hitters, too. Look, I was stage manager for a band that had a heavy hitter guitar tech who was bitching at me about power being wrong from audio. <clears throat> and I said, do you have a meter? Did you meter your power? And he was like, uh, uh, no. Uh, I was like, well, get the meter out. And I took him up on stage and he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how to meter power. So again, you know, a lot of people fake it until they make it. And then they're in a high profile gig and they haven't like crossed all their T's, dotted all their I's that they faked to everyone. So you got to go back and really learn your shit, man. Don't, you know, faking it till you make it is something that we all have to do. We're all actors to a point, but at some point you got to show proof. Exactly. I think you're talking about my podcast with Jeff Meredith, but don't be afraid to, to jump into something you're not sure how to do, but don't be afraid to ask Absolutely. how to do it. You got to go where eagles dare. Exactly. You know? But and, at the same point, you got to be going, hey, I need help. Hey, I'm up here with you mm-hmm. guys. Please help me out. Yeah. <laughs> I was afraid that people were going to get upset with me for asking questions. And now that I kind of know what I'm doing, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just know I don't feel that way at all. If you're going to ask me a question, you know, I genuinely enjoy being able to share knowledge. Uh, me too. Here's a good point that I've said to people. There's two kind of people that I meet on the road as stagehands or crew people or whatever. So if I tell you, hey, take these two cables and go plug it in over there to where I have it labeled red and blue and one and two and just match it up, plug it up, come back to you. Mm. So one person will come back to you and say, okay, what's next? Mm. The other person will come back to you and say, what does that do? <laughs> and then that's the person I take the time with and go, hey, man, yeah. let me show you some stuff. Because they're trying to get on the road. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, and, and that's the kind of person I want to be around. So I want to be the dumbest person in the room. And that's how I feel when I'm with Boston. I mean, there's so many geniuses out there. I mean, certified geniuses that I, just by osmosis, I learned so much by keeping my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for doing this today, dude. Yeah, um, you know, when all this craziness is over, we got to hang out a little more. Yeah, for sure, man. Definitely. And uh, I appreciate you asking me to do this. This is an honor. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Gamble. 
Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Bus Call. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash buscall. Patreon members will get the podcast a week before it's released to the public, and they can also sign up to have advance notice of who's going to be on and the opportunity to ask questions. Please take some time to visit show-logistics.com. We've dedicated the first page to sell merch to raise money for Crew Nation's Global Relief Fund. As you know, with COVID-19, basically all touring has stopped for the foreseeable future, and there's thousands and thousands of crew out of work, and we're donating all the profits, many of the merch sold there, straight to Crew Nation. Thanks so much again, and please rate, review, and subscribe.